This whole series has been about making commitments, which will help to deepen our relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ. Today we have a very special Sunday in which we are calling all those who have yet to make Christ their Lord and Savior to do so today. But maybe you've made Christ Lord and Savior, you believe in Him in your heart, but you just haven't taken a step of commitment and have followed through in, in death, burial, and resurrection and identifying with Christ in baptism. Today is a day for you also. When I was in the second grade, I can remember my children's pastor telling me, that if you want to believe in Jesus Christ, then all you need to do is accept Him into your heart. He said, open up the door to your heart and receive Jesus. Now, as an elementary student, I tried to apply that the best way I could. Limited knowledge of God, limited knowledge of the Bible. I remember going home that afternoon, and I remember playing in the front yard, and then pausing, and then asking Jesus to enter into my heart. And then I simulated opening up a door to my heart, and then closing it and shutting it to place Jesus within it. I look back at that day and I say, that's got to be the day where I first started to believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior and the Lord. With the basic knowledge that I had, I believed in that moment of Jesus. I believed He claimed that He was Savior and that He was God's Son. I believed that He was here to forgive us of sins. And with the limited knowledge that was in my mind at an elementary age of just eight years old, I asked Jesus to enter into my, my heart. Two years later, much older and wiser, in the fourth grade, I came uh, into a, a Sunday school class where our teacher taught on Matthew chapter 3, the baptism of Jesus. And I remember that lesson because I had so many questions for my teacher that just didn't seem to be ably answered. I heard that Jesus went to John the Baptist and to start his earthly ministry, came to John the Baptist and requested that John baptize him. Now, I thought that was pretty interesting, because why would Jesus, who was perfect, need to be baptized if baptism, after all, was for the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit? But the Bible points out that Jesus did that to fulfill all righteousness, meaning this was a good thing to do. He was setting the example for those who were to come to follow I remember when the teacher taught that Jesus went down to the water and came back up and then the Spirit of God descended like a dove and alighting him and, and a voice from heaven. God hadn't spoken in 400 years, but all of a sudden Jesus is baptized. His son's baptized and God breaks the silence. This is my son whom I love and I am well pleased. I had so many questions for my Sunday school teacher. She couldn't answer those questions. Why? Why was Jesus baptized? What is baptism? What in the, de what in the world is the deal with the, the dove and, and God speaking audibly? Those questions just couldn't be answered to appease my 10-year-old mind. So I went back home, and I remember it took about two weeks of just kind of replaying that story in my head. Matthew 3, Jesus' baptism. There I was in my garage working on a model train set, and it hit me. I said I believed in Jesus. I accepted Jesus in my heart to follow after Jesus because he established the way of righteousness, the right way to be baptized. I need to follow Jesus and be baptized. I remember getting into the living room and telling my parents, I want to be baptized. Now, they were totally unsure about that. They said, well, do you understand what baptism is? I said, I, I, here's what I think it is. And I remember they, they called the children's minister and said, you need to come over here and you need to speak with Matt and make sure he's got it all, all uh, un, 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 in, in a complete knowledge of what's going on. 
Children's minister came. I guess I, I checked out okay. And on, on March the 8th, 1987, I was immersed into Jesus Christ. What I remember about that day is the most obscure things about the day of my baptism. I remember being ushered back to about one room out of seven for changing rooms. And inside that changing room was a yellow hairdryer. I remember a lady I had never seen before came to me and placed a large white gown over me, looked at me and said, honey, that won't do. It's way too big. Went around, tried to find another one, couldn't find another one, and then took some, some safety pins and pinned it back so that it would fit better. I remember my dad staring at me from the other side of the baptismal, and when it came time for us to enter into the, the waters at the appropriate time of service, he kind of waved me in, and we stood there, and I stood before a congregation of about 1,500 people, and I was scared of this. I'd never seen the congregation from that perspective before. And I must have been like a deer in headlights until my dad said, this is my son, Matthew. We named him after the gospel writer, Matthew. Now that I knew. But then he had this little new, new tidbit I never knew. He said, and we also named him after a biblical preacher from Great Britain that also did some literary works as well, a guy by the name of Matthew Henry. Now, I didn't know that, and I was caught up in that. I thought, you named me after him too? And then he said, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ is the living God? Wait a minute, let's go back to the Matthew Henry thing. And I guess I answered those questions appropriately in the baptistry. I remember with my eyes open going underneath the water and coming back out my dad hugging me telling me how proud he was and then struggling with all my might to get out of the water with all that robe water soaked <laughs> i remember my friends greeting me afterwards i remember my mother giving me a big kiss on the cheek i viewed that day when i opened up the door to jesus christ into my heart when i was eight years old as the day i first believed in March 8, 1987, when I was baptized into Christ, was the day I put my belief into action. And it became something significant to me. Those of you who are married, you understand this. You understand what it is to put belief into action, to make belief a part of commitment. Because you met someone, and then it turned a little bit deeper than from just meeting someone. It turned into a full-blown relationship. You shared your hearts with one another, and you wanted to share your lives with one another. But you had a moment there where you thought, I believe this is the one. And then you begin to change that belief around, and you said, she is the one. He is the one. And someone proposed to the other person. And that belief became a commitment, not on the day of the proposal, but on the day of the wedding, of the ceremony. There was a ceremony that was set. You remember the ceremony, right? You made a commitment to one another. We don't look back at how long we've loved somebody by the proposal. Many of us, all of us, when they ask, how long have you been committed to each other? Go back to what date? The ceremony date. You see, it's... The wedding date where we said, I do, which sets the benchmark to say, I can tell you exactly how long I've been married to this man. I can tell you how long I have put up with his antics. I can tell you how long I've struggled to be his wife. We were married. June the 16th, 2001. It's the benchmark. You see, the day where I had Jesus enter my heart was the day of belief. But there's so many people who believe. As a matter of fact, James says, even the demons believe in Jesus. March 8th, 
87 was the day I changed belief into commitment and said, I want to follow through with this. And if you were to ask me today how long I've been a Christian, I wouldn't go back to the day I was eight years old. I'd go back to the date that I know, March 8th, 1987. I've been a Christian since that time because I had the assurance in that moment that Christ said, believe, be baptized. And those were the days I put those two things together. I coupled those cars with one another and did what Christ had asked me to do. See, that's the biblical model that Christ had asked us to follow. There's belief and then there is baptism. Belief always follows by baptism. Every account of baptism, you find someone believes first in the biblical studies of it, and then you find then they are baptized afterwards. That someone has the capability to believe, and then someone has the independent nature to request or to go and be baptized by someone else. It is logical that that happens that way. I believe in Jesus, and I want to share with Jesus. In the New Testament book of Acts, chapter 8, a man by the name of Simon, some people call him Simon the Sorcerer, he used magic to deceiving people into believing that he was something more powerful than he really was. He was using hocus-pocus, smoke-and-mirror tricks, and, and people were believing that he was some kind of powerful, mystical God. But when he heard Philip and the other disciples preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. He was cut to the heart, and he started changing his ways. He didn't want to deceive people anymore. He wanted to follow after Jesus the best way he knew how. And in verse 13 of Acts chapter 8, it says, Then Simon himself believed and was, was baptized. Do you catch what's going on there in just that sh short little sentence? Simon made a decision on his own to believe in Jesus, and then the decision to believe in Jesus was followed by a commitment. I'm going to be baptized into Jesus. He believed, and he was baptized. Now in that same chapter, you find this, the story of a man who is reading the scroll of Isaiah, a part of the Bible, and he just can't comprehend the scroll. He can't comprehend what he's reading. So a follower of Jesus, a man by the name of Philip, is there, and he hears what the man is reading out loud, and he walks over to the man and says, do you understand this? The guy says, I, can, I don't understand this. I need someone to teach me. Philip's there. He teaches the man. He teaches them that Jesus died. Died for that man. He teaches them that Jesus rose again and can give that man life eternal, everlasting. He teaches that man that his sins, his wrongdoings, his trespasses, his mess-ups towards God could all be forgiven because of the blood of Jesus Christ that was spilled on the cross. And that man has these words to say as he passes by some water. He says, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? He ordered the carriage to stop, and then they went down in the water, and Philip baptized him. What happened first? I believe in Jesus, I believe what you're saying, Philip, uh, as, as truth. And now I am, I want to be baptized. Belief always is followed up with baptism. In Acts chapter 2, Simon Peter, one of the disciples of Jesus, stood before the very crowd that had just demanded Jesus' blood to be spilled a month earlier. A month earlier, the crowd that Peter is speaking to was an angry mob that had cried for Christ's crucifixion. And now Peter's preaching to him. He's talking to the crowd. And they're convicted by what Peter says in that message. Peter's message is Jesus of Nazareth. He was a man that was endorsed by God. He did powerful things. He did miracles. He did all sorts of wonders. And he was 
seen as God's son, but you guys killed him. How's that to make it personal? You guys all killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death. He raised him back to life. And now he's exalted to the place of honor in heaven at God's right hand. And then in Acts chapter 2, verse 37, the people say, after they've been cut to the heart, brothers, what shall we do? I, we, we feel the guilt of our sin. And, and Peter replies, well, guys, there's nothing you can do. You just have to live a good life, be a good person, and then just hope that maybe God will accept you. No, no. Does, does Peter say, here's what we'll do. You all bow your head. And any of you that made a commitment to Christ, would you just raise your hand and then come forward and then we'll pray this sinner's prayer? No. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter replies, Repent. Turn away from your sin and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, these people just crucified Christ four weeks ago. They're believing what Peter says now is true of Jesus. He is Christ. He is Savior of sins. They're cut to the heart. They want to make their belief a meaningful expression of their faith now. Are you catching this? They want to know what can we do for a God that loves us like this. We just put his son to death. We just crucified him on the cross. We just cried for his blood to be shed. What do we do now? That's their question. Because we believe, Peter, what you're saying is true about Jesus. We get it now. We didn't get it four weeks ago, but we're getting it now. And what do we do? And what I love about the, the gospel and what Jesus puts into place is he allows us to have a meaningful expression of faith because what do you do when you encounter a God that has totally impressed your world? And you look and you say, I am nothing compared to the greatness and perfection of the God that I find in this Bible. I don't stack up to the standards of truth that Jesus lays out, and yet he still loves me. What do you do when you find that Jesus paid an atoning death on the cross, an atoning sacrifice for you, and, and you realize that every sin is forgiven in my life? There's got to be some response that we have there. And God knew this. God knew that our belief would require or demand some kind of response, some kind of action. So he says, be baptized. Put your belief into action. Make a moment of commitment. Have a benchmark in your life where you can say, that was the day that I can look back to and say, I really committed myself to Christ. I really followed through with what Jesus had asked us to do. When we believe, I think we have a need to make a meaningful expression of our belief. But there are so many questions that come from baptism. There's so many questions that we have when it comes to the simple act of humility. One common question is, when should someone be baptized? You know, in the three instances I showed you, Simon the sorcerer, Philip and the Ethiopian, and the crowd that heard the message of Peter, in all three of those instances, those first had the capability to believe on their own. And secondly, they made an independent decision to be baptized on their own. It was their choice. So when should someone be baptized? I can think to only answer it like this. 
when someone is capable of understanding of what Jesus has done in their life, and secondly, when they can make an independent decision to truly follow Jesus and then be buried into Christ and rise again into Christ. So out of that question comes some other questions, and they get more difficult. At what age should my child be baptized? I get that question a lot. Our children's minister, Bill Miller, gets that question an awful lot. I think well-meaning parents we've met with bring their child to us at age three or four, and they say, my child's accepted Jesus Christ into their heart, and I think they should be baptized. Now, there is no purer faith than the faith of a child. I mean, in the, at eight years old, I felt like there was no purer faith than I had at that moment to just to simulate the opening the door of my heart and saying, I'm going to let you in. Not knowing completely what that meant, but having some idea that I wanted to let Jesus be my Savior. But there's got to be the understanding of what Christ has done on the cross. I think everyone who comes to the baptistry needs to have the understanding of what Christ has done and that our sin has ruined the relationship that God originally wanted with you and me. But Jesus came to restore it. And when if I unify myself with Jesus, I'm going to unify myself with God because that's what Jesus came to do. And I think secondly, there needs to be the self-decision to say, I believe, because belief comes before baptism, and say, now I choose to be baptized. And you have the capability to decide for yourself your baptism based on your belief. I don't know what age that is. Some people say it's between the ages of eight and nine that most can comprehend the simple truths of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection and understand the commitment that they're following through with in baptism. You can go back to Jewish custom and you can look at the bar mitzvah and you can say maybe it's around the age of 13, somewhere in there. I have no idea. I just know this. The, the preacher shouldn't decide for your child. The parent should decide for their child. You know your child more intimately than I do. You've had better bedtime conversations than I've had with your child. And for have that child come to me and say, you think he checks out okay? I don't have 10 questions for him. I would say to you, I don't know. Do you feel that this is a commitment that your child is making is genuine? You, do you feel that he or she understands what Christ has done for him or her? Do you feel that this is a decision that they're making on their own? Or have you been pressuring them to be baptized into Christ? So what about an infant? Because that always comes up when you're talking about what age. What about infant baptism? What does the Bible say about infant baptism? Well, there's no biblical, there's no biblical example of an infant being baptized. We do know that families came together and they decided within one another as individuals to go and to follow after Christ, but that doesn't mean that infants were a part of those families. The biblical example of baptism shows us that there is a comprehension of Christ, that the individuals have a comprehension of who Jesus Christ is, and they have the capability to self-decide to be baptized. Infants don't have the comprehension of Christ. Infants don't have the self-decision to be baptized. Now out of that question comes, if I've been baptized as an infant, should I be baptized as an adult? The answer is, if you believe right now that Jesus Christ is, is Savior and Lord of your life, but you've been baptized as an infant, you've put, you've put baptism before belief. You believe now, let's follow the biblical example, and let's say, you believe, now let's be baptized. Make it your own decision to follow after Jesus Christ. Let it be the biblical example, not maybe the heritage 
example. Friends, all I'm saying today to you that find yourself in that position is this. I want you to have the most assurance and confidence of salvation today than you ever have before. I want you to leave here today knowing that you follow through with the biblical principles that Christ has put into place and you walk out of here today knowing, without a doubt, I've coupled belief and baptism today. I didn't do it backwards. I did it just the way the Bible expresses it. Your belief, your decision. And so many times we find that the biblical example is reversed. There's baptism, and then the parents just kind of hope that the child comes to belief. And maybe it will, will happen sooner or later. But you've seen it, haven't you? So many have been baptized as infants and they've wandered themselves off and there's no more belief in Christ. How about belief first, followed by the commitment of baptism? Oftentimes I'm asked, well, if I was sprinkled as a child, am I saved? Or do I need to be immersed? We get this one a lot. So let me be blunt with it. The question usually comes up like this. I'll tell you what, my grandmother was one of the godliest women I've ever known. And she was a Presbyterian. She was sprinkled. Are you saying that she's lost and going to hell? No. First off, it's not my job to be the one that says who goes to hell and who doesn't, who's lost and who's not. That's God's decision. He's the judge. I'm to be a faithful Bible teacher. It's not my job to figure out immersed, sprinkled, poured. That's God's role. And second, second place, God's going to judge according to the knowledge, the opportunity, and the response that that person had. He knows the heart better than I ever will. But let me put it like this. Let's say your grandparents owned an old grocery store, and they were honest as the day is long. And after that passed away, your parents inherited that same grocery store, and they were people of integrity. But now they've handed the store over to you, and you're in charge of the store. And one day a state inspector comes in, and he wants to inspect your scales to see if they are correct in their weight calibration. And he, he finds out that they're off. And this whole time, you thought you were giving someone an exact pound of flour, but you've only been giving them... 15 and a half ounces of flour. Were your parents and grandparents dishonest? No. They didn't know the scales were off necessarily. But you know what? You'd be dishonest if you didn't take that information that the inspector gave you, assimilate it, and then made the right adjustments accordingly. Here's what the Bible says. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it. It's a sin for them. So no reason to talk about grandparents, parents any longer. You know now God's calibration. You know the true measurement and the standard. And this congregation, friends, is full of men and women who had found out at one point in their life that maybe the scales were off somewhere and they acted accordingly and they... Set the scales back to the standard that God had established. They wanted, with the knowledge that they had, and the knowledge they'd been given, to follow through with what Christ had instructed. 
They desired to have the assurance of their salvation. They may have been sprinkled. They may have been poured. They may have come and been baptized as an infant by a parent's doing. They, after they read through the biblical examples, they discovered, I believe, and now I want to make it my decision to be baptized. Remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, whoever believes and is baptized. Friends, that's the word for dunked, for submersion. That's the word to go under until they bubble. I don't even know if I was under that long. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. Let me close with a story from 2 Kings chapter 5. It might help you out as we challenge you to take the next step to couple your belief today with the simple action of baptism. It says in 2 Kings chapter 5 that there was a man named Naaman. He was the commander of the Syrian army. He had all kinds of badges and ranks and status. I guess today he would be the equivalency to a four-star general in our military. But he was a leper. He had a very terminal disease that slowly rotted away his flesh. But there was a man by the name of Elisha, a godly prophet whom Naaman's maid had heard about. And the theory was, if we could just get Naaman to this godly man, then this godly man would be able to heal Naaman of his affliction and everything would be good in our household again. And so Naaman was a proud man. He was a desperate man so he got this big caravan of people together and he got the most expensive gifts he could because he came to elijah thinking he could buy the healing from elijah he thought it was elijah that was going to do the healing and when he made his way to elijah's house he was shocked to find out that elijah wouldn't even talk to naaman this high-ranking official as a matter of fact elijah sent out a lowly servant to go talk to Naaman. And here was the message from Elijah to the servant to Naaman. Go dip yourself seven times in the river Jordan and then you will be completely healed. <laughs> that didn't cut it for Naaman. Naaman was offended. Naaman said back to the servant, if all I had to do was to dip myself in some water, I could have stayed home and used a cleaner river than your dumb muddy river Jordan and I could have been healed there. And you know what? Naaman ran away home in a huff. He went home prideful. He went home and kept his dignity. He also kept his leprosy. And on the journey home, one of his servant, servants came to him, bowed down low and said, Sir, if the prophet would have asked you to do some major impressive thing. You wouldn't have thought twice about it. You would have done it. And to Naaman's credit, he swallows his pride, turned back around, went to the Jordan River, dunked himself in it seven times after he took off its garments and exposed his rotting flesh. And after he did that, 2 Kings 5.14 says, And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. He was healed. The Jordan didn't heal him. The water didn't cleanse him. God did. 
It just became a channel for God's healing. This morning, I look at so many of you today, so many people in here with so many badges, with so many ranks and statuses, sophistication, but underneath it all, every single one of us, underneath the veneer, have a terminal disease called sin, and it has eroded the relationship that God wants with us. So God provided a cure, Jesus. And Jesus said, to have this cure, do something meaningful. Believe in me and be baptized. Peter said, repent, turn away from your old life and start heading in the right direction and be baptized. Those two things happen simultaneously. They serve as a benchmark as the day you've been renewed by Christ. And do this in the name of Jesus Christ, every one of you. And Peter expands it, for you'll have the forgiveness of your sins and you'll have the gift of God's Holy Spirit in your life. And I look at it like this. If God had asked any one of us to do something spectacular in obedience, we'd probably do it. But God has asked us to do something simple in our obedience to Him. So why wait this morning? Why not in just a moment arise like Naaman? Conform to Christ. Calling on Jesus Christ for salvation.